Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist. I'm glad you could be with me today. We are continuing on in our study of Colossians and we're going to begin on chapter 3 today. So chapter 3 begins with um, a therefore. And so we want to look and see what it, what is said before that. So last week we were talking about freedom in Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ. And, um, you know, Paul was is teaching and discipling these new believers and saying that, you know, it, once you've died with Christ, as in um, died to your old self, then uh, why would you go back under the law or under the rules that someone is trying to put on you? And so we talked about that last week. And so at, at the end of that, um, you know, he he concluded his talk about um, putting aside those things and having the freedom. And so then he says, therefore, in verse, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So, now he's going to begin uh, some teaching on the new life and how it should be. So, to give them an example of, of how the new life um, in Christ should be. Before, he was talking about how it should not be, I guess you might say. And so, he says here, you know, if you've been raised up with Christ, and it's a, it's a picture, it's a word picture of the baptism and the and then the raising up like Jesus rose from the dead we also rose from the dead life that we had before to a new life in Christ so if you've been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God so he's um you know he's talking about them continuously seeking the things that are above because you know that is a discipline or a part of discipleship is for us to try to always be seeking the things of Christ not just every once in a while or on Sundays but every day and all day long that we try to you know have our thoughts go heavenward, I guess you might say. And then in verse 2, he also said, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So again, you know, if your focus is only on the things of the earth and your only focus is on um, your, your uh, well-being, your health, your place to live, uh, what car you drive, your job, um, or even your uh, friendships or whatever, then 
your your mind is not set on the things above. So how would we set our minds on the things above? Maybe by um, focusing on trying to tell others about Jesus, about what new life in Jesus really means, you know, about how, like, just like Paul is doing, he's setting an example of how if someone becomes a Christian, they don't know all these things, and our job is to help them to understand how to use their Bible and how to study the Scripture or whatever. And so setting your mind on things above also could mean your priorities become about things above uh, rather than things on the earth. And um, the things that you do on the earth should work to support your idea of of uh, your focus that's on heaven, I guess you might say. You know, we have to work. We can't all stop working unless we're retired, but we can't just all stop working and go and sit on a mountaintop. Like you hear sometimes how a group came and sat on this mountain and they had sold their homes and all their things and were waiting because they just knew Jesus was coming back that day to get them, you know, from that mountaintop. And then it didn't happen, you know, and then they had sold everything and they had nothing, you know. So I think, you know, that's in taking it, I guess, to an extreme. But, um, but still, we should set our mind and our priorities on the things that are above. Okay, let's go on to verse 3. Verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So I got out a couple of different resources to try to study on this word hidden because I wanted to get a real better picture in my mind of what this means, your life being hidden in Christ, uh, hidden with Christ in God, it says. And so the, the word, the meaning, the Greek meaning of this word hidden is like um, something that you hide it so, so no one can see it. it it's a hidden, concealed, I guess you might say. And of course, we don't we don't hide our lives from the world in that sense of that we don't interact with the world or um, have uh, allow them to see that we are Christians. It's not that, but but that our Christianity, I guess, our relationship with Christ is hidden with him it's concealed with him it is untouchable by satan who would like to you know take it back in the other direction i guess and it's impossible for him to do that because it is hidden with christ in god and then it says when christ who is our life is revealed then you will also be revealed with him in glory so um you know again those whose lives have been hidden with Christ will then be revealed to be uh, with him in glory. And 
you know, so it's very important then for us to understand that concept that when we become a Christian, uh, it's, a, you know, it's not that we hold on to Christ, but it's that Christ holds on to us. Once we've made that step and we've turned our heart over to him, then he holds on to us. And that's really important because you have some days where it's really tough and you just despair over something. And it's important for us to know that it's not us holding on to him because at that point, our grasp wouldn't be very strong, I guess you might say. But he holds on to us and he has our life hidden with him. And therefore, when he comes back, he will reveal that we are uh, still with him. You know, you will be revealed with him in glory. Okay, and now let's go on to verses 5 to 7. Therefore, so because of the things we've just been talking about, uh, therefore, because you have that life that's hidden in Christ, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Okay, so he, now here he's giving them a list of things that they should set aside. They should work on setting these things aside. Consider these things as dead to them. In the new life, uh, these should not be a part of who you are. And let's read that list again. Uh, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So, you know, all of those things, I think we would agree um, that we should, those should not be characteristics of our life as a believer. And I guess the most difficult one of those is probably greed. You know, immorality is throughout the earth, but you don't see it as often in the church, though you sometimes do. But uh, it's definitely in society, isn't it? But he's talking to believers here, and he's talking about their lives and how now that they are in Christ, these things should be set aside. And greed is a very difficult thing for us as Americans because we are the wealthiest nation on earth, or so we are told often. Um, and we have access to a lot of things and sometimes that gets the best of us and we begin to say, well, if I have this, maybe I could even have more. You know, maybe I could even do this or, you know, have a bigger house, have a, a fancier car, have more expensive clothes or whatever the thing is, you know. And that can really take you over so that your focus then is not on uh, things above, is it? but it becomes on your own desires, your own selfish uh, desires. And um, then it also says um, in verse 6, 
it's because of these things, the the Im immorality and evil desire and greed, etc., because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now, you know, if you... This is talking about, when, when you say the sons of disobedience, what he's talking about is those who have not uh, set aside these things, have not followed God. You know, the, we could get into the parable of the sower, how some seeds sprouted and grew up, but then when the world got hold of them, you know, they, they withered. And so... Um, the sons of disobedience would be someone who is characterized by disobedience. That that is a part of their character, a constant part of their character. You know, we are all going to mess up sometimes and some days and on a certain occasion. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to embarrass ourselves in some way. But, um, but if that becomes a characteristic of us every day, then we need to back up and look at and see why that might be. And then he taught, he refers them back and says, in them, in those uh, immorality and those things, you also once walked when you were living in them. So at the time before you were Christians, basically, you were walking in those things. Walking meaning day by day as you went, those were characteristics of your life. You know, some, maybe some more than others for each individual person, but still, these um, these things that are now being set aside. Okay, let's read verses 8 to 10. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Okay, so in verse 8 now, he it's, it's almost like he's giving a second list. He's first of all said these things immorality, etc., set those aside. Um, those should not be a part of your character any longer. But now he's saying also uh, put these things aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And those things are maybe less um, dire than the first ones that he mentioned, you know, a little bit less dire but at the same time, he's saying go further and not just put aside the really bad stuff, but also take the next step to put aside these things as well. Because you're Christian, you, you have to live in a certain way. You should live in a certain way. The new life, these things are not a part of it. Anger and, um, let me go back to it now. Wrath, being extreme anger, I guess. Malice, which is like very, you know, bad thoughts about people. Slander, we know what that is. And abusive speech from your mouth. So, 
these things are, um, you know, it's easy to slip in, I guess, to something like this if you're not careful that you can get involved with people who are saying slanderous things, for example, and then you just join right in without really thinking about it because they're your friend and, and, and suddenly you're involved in a conversation and you've said things that you wish you had not said um, and other things. And then it's, he, in verse 9, he said, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So he's again describing the new life and he's saying don't lie to each other. Lying should not be a part of who you are because you've put that aside. You've laid aside the old self. It's like you took off a garment and you laid it aside and you're not wearing that anymore. So you, you're not going to pick it back up and put it back on. You know, you now are wearing a new garment. And so these things are not a part of you anymore. And then he talks about the new self being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. And, of course, we had talked um, sometimes about how Jesus was there from the creation of the world. And so we're being being created, I guess you might say, into the image of Jesus. Now, that is a, that is what discipleship is: is that you, you know, uh, to be a disciple, you are it, like if um, a famous painter, Leonardo da Vinci. I, I can't even speak on famous painters, so don't even, don't worry about correcting me. I know that that's probably a bad choice. But let's say Leonardo da Vinci had a disciple or a pupil who was learning from him how to paint. And he would learn it so well that, you know, sometimes on the Antiques Roadshow, they say, oh, this may not have been painted by the original guy but it was one of his students who painted this. So they painted it so well that it's hard for an expert to tell um, whether it was from the original guy or from a student. And so in that same way, we are being made into the image of Jesus. Not that we're going to be Jesus or even be close to being Jesus, but we are supposed to be moving in that direction to be more and more like Jesus as we go forward. Okay, now let's see. In verse 11 then, they set that verse aside by itself. A, um, so it's, it's a continuation of that same sentence. This is one of Paul's long sentences that he does. And so let me go, I'm going to back up just a little bit. According to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Okay, so now he's describing 
the group of believers uh, in, in a way that had come to Christ. And he says there is no distinction among them, whether they were Jews who came to Christ or Greeks who came to Christ, whether they had been circumcised or they had not been circumcised, uh, whether they were barbarians, which uh, our book says that barbarians, when he referred to it in that way, would have been people who were not, not Jewish or Greek. They were from another tribe, let's say. Scythians, who were known to be very violent, uh, whether they were a slave or a free man. So he gives all these distinctions, and then he says, there is no distinction between these things in Christ. And, you know, I think this is something that we must learn over and over again, is that regardless of the circumstance that we come from to become a Christian, once we, once we are a Christian, there sh we should never uh, make distinctions. And we do that all the time. Uh, most of our churches are divided, and we don't do it consciously. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't sit down and say, okay, this church is this. We don't do it that way. But most churches are divided, not necessarily all the time by races, such as barbarian or Scythian or whatever, uh, but sometimes. Um, not necessarily by circumcised or uncircumcised, meaning someone who had followed the rituals of the Jewish faith or not, or some other rituals, you know. Um, and then between Jewish and Greek, you know, that maybe we, we could talk about tribes or slave and free. But the way we divide our churches in America a lot of times is by income bracket. You know, and you find a church that generally everybody in the church is in is middle class, is upper class, is lower class. I mean, you know, whatever as far as income goes. And that seems to be, and, and this verse clearly says there is no distinction and we should not make distinctions in our church, you know, and we don't, maybe we don't verbally or openly do that, but we do. It happens, you know, it does happen. Okay, let's read verses 12 uh, and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against any one. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Okay, now that one's pretty straightforward. He's saying these are the things that should be characteristics of your life. These are, these are important for you to have kindness and, you know, it sort of reminds you of the list of the fruit of the Spirit that he talks about in another book. But um, then he also says, you know, being patient with another person, forgiving them. And if someone has a complaint against someone, just like the Lord forgave you, you forgive that person. And then we'll go on to the last three verses, uh, 14 to 17. That's four verses, isn't it? 
Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let this peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So again, more, I guess you might say, rules for living. Put on love. This is the bond of unity, the perfect bond of unity. Um, this is how to live within the body within the body of Christ or within the body of believers. Um, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And it says admonishing one another with, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you are, you know, you're encouraging each other. Admonishing is a little more than encouraging. It's And it's not as much as criticizing. But it's kind of like... Um, urging each other on to do better, you know, without uh, embarrassing the person, you know, but you, when you, when you hear somebody feel like giving up, then you're going to encourage them in a way to hopefully help them not to give up, you know, and, and you're admonishing them with, maybe with a song or with a psalm or a hymn, quoting of a scripture like we do sometimes and saying, well, you know, the Bible says this, all of those things. And then it says in verse 17, I think a very important verse, whatever you do in word or in deed, so what you say or what you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through God um, the Father. So I think that's really important because we don't do things in our own name as a Christian. We don't say, ooh, I, Harriet Bowman, you know, am doing this. Um, we we do uh, things in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. We we are to function as the hands and feet of Jesus in that way. That when someone is touched by the thing we do, they don't look at us and say, "Oh, that's a great person." They look at Jesus and say, "Jesus is great." That that this person is being led by Him, and if we could all do that you know, that would really, um, that would really enhance the way that the world looks at us as believers. So we'll go on from there next week. We'll begin just at verse 18 and going right on forward. And so I'll see you next time around and we'll study a little bit more. Thank you for being with me.